This is Women Authors of Achievement podcast, episode four, with guest Geza Mekchaika. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Svorova, and welcome to today's episode. How do you transition into venture capital, become a business angel, and start your own capital firm? Well, I was lucky to ask my dear guest Geza all those questions and much more. In this episode, she explained to me why she prefers investing into startups with sustainable growth over exponential growth, as well as what is her investing strategy for this year. As a board member of German Startup Association, she helps build more diverse and inclusive founder support foundation. We broke down important steps for the first-time founders and milestones of their founding journey that they should never neglect. Grab your co-founder, pen and paper, and tune into today's conversation with Geza Mekchaika. Geza, what a pleasure to have you in the studio today. You're the first business angel and investor joining me for a conversation here. I'm so happy to be here today. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming. It's quite challenging to transition into venture capital unless you have a certain background. Your story was different and you paved your own way into VC by launching your own capital firm. Tell me that story. Wow. Um, yeah, the story actually begins really, really early on. So I was a strategy consultant originally, and um, I, I was for many years, and I was working at my uh, client's um, uh, place, which was not in Berlin. So I was uh, Monday through Friday at this client's office, and um, I wanted to start a family at the same time, and it just didn't work. So um, I kind of decided to quit my job without having something new <laughs> to be able to start a family. And by coincidence, um, I was at... Uh, The, the next day, actually, after, um, after resigning this job, um, I went to an alumni event. And at the alumni event, I met my first project leader who uh, was starting his own co company, which is called Black Lane, and asked me to help him set it up until I have my first child. And that's basically how I, how I came into the startup world. So I did quit. I, I already had quit. So I started helping him and uh, Black Lane grew really fast. And I was helping with him with all the non-technical divisions. And what, um, what, what is Black Lane? It's a limousine services provider. It's like Uber, but pre-booked. And uh, it, the, the target customer is the business traveler in the world. And we're I always say we because I still feel like <laughs> I started this company as well. Uh, I was actually at the office before the two founders were there. So it was uh, pretty exciting for me. The two founders still had their old, old jobs in the university and in the, in the strategy consulting firm. Well, and through that, I kind of got in touch with the whole startup world. And, um, and then I did have my child uh, very late. So it took me two and a half years <laughs> to have my child. And after those two and a half years, I, I decided because it was, I needed the flexibility, so I decided to become a digital consultant and was consulting with lots of um, startup founders in growth topics and lots of um, corporates in specific um, topics, which were all around digitization. And um, most of the topics uh, were actually, should we buy a startup? And if yes, which one? So that's how I saw the not only the startup side, but the investor side as well. And I got pretty excited because I saw that this whole area was really male-dominated in Germany, extremely male-dominated, and uh, all these white guys coming from the same un universities that we all know, so all those, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, and I thought they're all fighting over the same piece of cake. So like all the same startups get that super high valuations because they have the founders who typically also come from these universities and who typically also have the same background. And I thought, well, they're all fighting over this one piece of cake, and but the cake is big, so why don't I take another piece of cake and um, and take it for myself since no one's looking at it? And uh, at the same, in parallel to me, my one of my co-founders, my partners, uh, Tina, she had the same idea, and we got together, and then we um, kind of sourced the third partner, uh, who is Fabiola, uh, because she actually does have experience um, as a investor. She was a partner in a private equity firm for 12 years. And uh, she then had uh, 15 angel investments before we met. So we thought it's amazing. We need someone who is like very, very experienced. So you you and Tina were uh, more fresh into investing? Well, Tina, not as much as me. I think I was the freshest of us um, because my only experience was listening to my husband for 15 years, how he was doing his angel investments and helping him looking at the decks, um, but not really being active in that. But Tina actually did have a lot of experience because she um, started her career as a consultant as well. And she was doing due diligence for private equity firms. So that was like already her drop into this area. And then she has been at Axel Springer for a long time. And especially now, um, since a couple of years already at the Axel Springer Plug and Play Accelerator, which was the first accelerator that they launched. And uh, she accelerated over 80 firms in that time. So, I mean, she did <laughs> she did have a lot more experience than I had. And she already had, uh, I think, two angel investments before we met. So they were a lot more experienced than I was. How did you came to that idea? So you, you three of you came together and you said, let's start our own firm. How does it look like? Yeah, we process? were four at the beginning, actually. So we sourced not only Fabula, but I also tried to source Anna Alex, who uh, is the the founder of Planetly, and uh, she, well, she decided to become uh, a founder again, <laughs> and we decided let's try it out, and uh, we, we said we want to do venture capital. But um, uh, venture capital is something if you start a venture capital fir firm, then you're stuck with each other for 10 years. So we decided to do a dating phase in the first uh, year, and we decided to just throw some money in the middle, some capital in, into the middle. Each one of us had savings from our jobs. And we said, okay, let's put these savings in the middle and just um, do some investments together for at least one year. So and that's a, how we started. It's so, a pure business angel sort yeah, of firm that yeah. with your own personal. Yes, that was our own personal um, money, which we and we've been doing it since uh, two years now. We originally wanted to do it for one year and then start our own venture capital firm. But things actually, um, Corona came and then uh, we decided it's not a good time to reach out to high net worth individuals because that those were our target group and family offices. And then kind of also many personal uh, things happened in our partner um, circle of partners, which was uh, really good because we still had time. But now, um, yeah, we're actually going to start soon. <laughs> Great to hear that. And what are the three ingredients to start your own capital firm? Huh, three ingredients. So, so I think the main ingredient you need is resilience. It's absolutely resilience because you're going to get so many no's around the the whole path of getting there. And um, we're actually starting now and we're prepared to get as many no's as, as it takes for us to get the yeses to be able to do this. <laughs> I think resilience is actually the main, main, main thing. And then Another thing which I think is like a real passion for investing because it is, it, it has a lot of spikes. So weeks can be 100 hour weeks if you're in like the hot phase of, of getting an investment finished or so. 
and then um, it's it's just very um, emotionally also very very challenging at times. Uh, so you really have to love what you do, and that um, that's the second ingredient. So resilience, love for what you do, and I would say you would you also need like a good business sense to be able to do it. Just good hinges in specific areas, which you can also, uh, with a good due diligence, make a solid basis out of that. But you still need to have like a good, just feeling for for a business. I would assume there's the same approach if someone wants to become a business angel. Absolutely, yes. I think it makes sense to become a business angel first if you're my age. Um, but if you're younger and you, you're starting your career and you want to go into venture capital, then obviously you don't have any savings yet and you can't, you can't be a business angel. So then it might make total sense to start uh, a little like uh, in one of the l lower positions in a venture capital firm. And it's really exciting because most of these actually give you a lot of responsibility and you can source your own deals and you can go through with these own deals until the end. So, yeah. Sounds great. I would like to have your opinion on why we have so few women investors. That's a good question. It's actually one of my main questions because I, I founded a group called Evangelistas, which is a group of female business angels in Germany, which were almost 100 uh, business angels from Germany now. And I think the it's it's two things. And it's the same reason, actually, for which there is not enough uh, female founders. And um, the reasons being, on the one hand, structural reasons, and on the other hand, cultural reasons. And I think um, just thinking cu culturally, it's um, we don't we don't have as many role models in that area, which are female. So it's not like something that uh, uh, women in university say, oh, I'm going to become a partner in a venture capital firm, because I see like 20 women who are amazing at this and who I see on a regular basis and who ha who who show me that it's doable. And then structurally, I mean, it's just, especially if you want to start a family, um, then nowadays it's still a lot that the woman has, uh, let's say, I'm just talking about Germany, but in Germany, the, the responsibilities tend, it's not always the case, but tend to be more within... Um, the um, the woman, the, the the mom being the one taking a little bit more of, of her time. And I guess um, the quality and quantity of uh, daycare facilities, uh, for example, is something that uh, structurally just doesn't enable um, women to be the same as men in that in that sense. But these are just two small examples. It's like a whole mosaic which I um, can go on talking on for hours and hours. But um, it's just so many reasons. And uh, we have to just help and change this. And I'm hoping, I'm ap actively doing a lot also on the political side to change this. And I'm hoping that, and I see that many other women are doing the same as me. And I'm hoping that we're all going to be able to join forces and really make a change so that the percentage of right now we have in Germany 3%. Uh, partners in uh, venture capital firms, but so that this can change and go up to uh, 50% in our lifetime. And that's something that I'm really, really passionate about. And can you tell me more about your work as a venture partner at Entrepreneur First? Yeah, that, that's amazing. I've been doing it since seven months. And um, originally, one of our investments um, introduced me to Entrepreneur First because they were an Entrepreneur First uh, company. So, so I met them and I, I learned about the program. I had heard a lot about them, but more from the UK perspective because they're really um, known and ha really successful in the UK. But I, I wasn't aware of the fact that they were 
already like completely full ongoing in, in Germany. Um, and um, so they they were looking for a venture partner. And I said, well, it fits perfectly well because we had at that time just decided to postpone our own fundraising for one year. So it made total sense. I had a little bit more time on my hands and I thought this is um, this really helps me to get a, even a better sense of uh, what investing is all about and startups is all about because the role is basically to coach the teams. Once teams get formed, coach these teams and um, bring them into a state that they are seed fundable and then uh, also help them to acquire the capital by giving the contacts to the to the venture capital firms and to the angel investors and pre-seed funds, etc., etc. Some of the teams you're, you would like to highlight? Oh, there are so many. It, it would be wrong to highlight one team, um, but they're all very... The, the thing is, uh, entrepreneur first is... Uh, a lot more deep tech than what I'm used to, uh, because I just know, like, from the angel investing of my husband and all the the whole venture capital world, I'm friends with many people. I just see similar topics, but entrepreneur first is a lot more deep techy, and um, and I'm learning a lot. And there's companies doing really crazy stuff there. For example, how to uh, be able to grow meat. Um, on at scale or you know th those types of uh, of questions and um and it's just really exciting to see how how these teams evolve and uh, how these business ideas go go forward if we speak in general what are some of the principles you follow as a business angel and also as a venture partner when you look for founders and their business ideas so again, I think it, the same applies to what I said at the beginning for us as investors. Resilience is like a really, really uh, big thing. And then the profiles of, I, I think for us as AUXO um, and also for Entrepreneur First, the profiles of the founders is the most important. And uh, what do I mean with that? There's so many, uh, the, so many aspects to this which are important. We want people who are, who excel at something specific or who just go above and beyond and are compared to their peers are just um, a little bit more ambitious or do things in a different way than their peers do. Just as a specific example, like uh, drop out of school because they were really passionate and uh, started coding their own business or something. That's that's something that's a type of founder that that I would typically be looking for and not have one example, but have like 10 of examples of this uh, person doing that. The most important thing is the team. So you have to believe that this team will be able to build a unicorn because the whole economics of um, uh, venture capital and also angel investing only works if you have a company which returns your whole fund. So you need to have, with each investment that you make, the potential of the investment needs to be huge. So that's what I look at. I look at the founders and I, I look at them and I kind of assess, do I think um, they will be able to build a unicorn? That's uh, that's the first part that you that you uh, look at. And also, do, do they have a skill set which is complementary to each other? And do they have all the skills that are necessary? And if, if they don't, um, do they have a good hiring plan in place, et cetera, et cetera? Then I look at to the markets themselves. So are they big enough? Uh, is the idea that the founders have actually 10 times better than what typical idea is out there in the market. And this is something that actually Entrepreneur First is really good at. What they do is that they, so if you're a, if you're a person who says, I want to become a founder and you apply at um, Entrepreneur First, then they scan your profile. And what they do is they don't look at the, the quality of your idea. 
or anything, but they just look at you as a person. So is this the best talent available? Is this person really potentially going to be someone who can really build something huge? And then that's why me as a business angel, I look at the second step, the business idea itself, uh, a lot more, which uh, Entrepreneur First also does at the time of IC when they do invest into the companies. And and then also looking at, um, yeah, so is the market huge, huge enough? And is this business idea really, really extremely good too for what they are for what they're planning. So those, I would say, are the main aspects. Mm -hmm. Earlier, you mentioned uh, about sustainable growth as an important ingredient. Do you still believe in that? Absolutely. Absolutely. The thing is um, what the venture capital for, uh, the whole industry in the past has shown is that they were really, really su successful with, um, and still are, with companies who display exponential growth, which is based on very intensive um, marketing. These companies can become like um, Uber, just like one of the examples, or Zalando or whatever. And um, and these companies are very, very successful, are huge, and, and make it because of the, the, the fact that they have uh, this exponential growth and they have a lot of uh, venture capital in their background and lots of great people who are doing great things. But we, as I also said, this is the, as I said at the beginning, the piece of cake that everyone's looking at. We want to look at the piece of cake that no one is looking at because then we're the only ones uh, going for that piece of cake. And um, having sustainable growth is just not necessarily that, that what we what we like is that people build real assets. We want to have something in the company that is like a real asset where you can grow on and, and the customers really uh, want this and it's not like a big marketing push that we're doing. What is the main difference um, if we just break it down between sustainable growth and exponential growth? You can also have sustainable exponential growth. That's also possible. But I would say sustainable growth is something which is uh, based on the assets that you build up in the company. That's that, that you just have something um, that, that the growth is not based on your marketing. And um, the typical type of exponential growth, I'm not saying every exponential growth is that way, but the typical part is where you would just do a lot of sales, a lot of marketing and push it up um, and make it huge through that uh, channel. Can you name some of the companies and founders that you invested in uh, that had that uh, idea of sustainable growth? Many. I mean, we are invested in several of those. Um, just let, for, for one, one example is um, a company called Legal OS in which we have invested. Legal OS is building, like they, they transfer uh, legal documents into code and thereby make it easier for uh, legal companies or legal uh, parts of, of great corporates to build um, documents. And the thing what they're doing is that they're building They have now in the past really taken a lot of time and effort into actually building this um, this whole library that they have and making it an asset which really, really works. And that's one example. Typically what um, one would do maybe is to have like a small part of the product and then really market it as fast as possible and then kind of build the second part uh, after that. But what they are doing is they're building like a real first good product with which legal division in a good uh, industry or, or legal firm can work with completely. Any other companies that you think are relevant, especially in the times of pandemic, and perhaps also pandemic changed the approach, your investment strategy? 
Well, ours not, but a pandemic did change the investment approach of many uh, other firms. And funny enough, um, the whole impact area is, I've seen changes, as, as, at least in Germany with the venture capital world, that they're becoming a lot more interested in companies who do deliver an impact and at the same time deliver high returns. And that was an area which was, uh, there were only like two big funds that I was aware of until now, which were focusing on that. And now they're popping out of the floor and you just out of the ground and you just see so many of the typical investment firms also going into that area and tackling those types of things. So I'm actually really happy about this change because um, the whole impact area is, you can see impact in so many different ways. If you're talking about education, if you're talking about our environment, uh, about society, whatever, just anything. There's so many edges to this. And I think if you just combine the two goals of having an impact and having financial returns, then there must be something good coming out of that. And as an investor, what are your goals for 2021? Well, for me, um, uh, fundraising um, <laughs> to getting um, a successful fundraising and to uh, doing our first investments in 2021. That's for me personally, um, the, the goals that I want to set. But for investing in general, I would say um, the goals for 2021, I mean, Corona hit all of us very, very hard. And I'm really hoping for the whole investment world to be able to take a big part in bringing the world back to uh, a good place. You're a board member at the German Startup Association. And as I understand, this is more of that political work that you are doing, educational work that you are offering to the ecosystem. Can you tell me more about this? I'm doing this in honorary capacity. So the Startup Association is taking all is representing the startup scene uh, versus every stakeholder po possible stakeholder and um, one example was when corona hit then uh, we talked a lot with the political leaders asking if um, because startups are different than uh, classic companies and uh, they were hit hard by corona as well and we we needed a The, the stabilization funds for for startups as well. And then we were successful in that. Um, not only us, obviously, many others also helped in that, but uh, we successfully, um, or the, the, the government successfully provided two billion um, to the startup world. Uh, you can say it went very slow and there were many like problems with this, but at the end of the day, um, it did help a lot of hundreds of companies, hundreds of startups in, in Germany. So that's just one area. My my main I have two parts that I'm trying to look into deeper in, at the, in the startup association. One of those being the financials, because the startup association also needs to uh, you know uh, be able to <laughs> survive financially. And um, the second area is a diversity in the whole startup ecosystem. So I'm really passionate in that. So I started also together with Lina Behrens, who's also in, in the, a member of the board, and Daniel Fiene, who is a reporter. Uh, we started a podcast called um, Tech Brief in Female Founders Edition, where we just want to show that the whole startup scene has a very, very, very diverse female, diverse female founder uh, ecosystem. And uh, just to show these examples and these role models to what we originally talked to, to also show the girls who are at school nowadays, this is something that you can do. You can become 
the founder of a company which has hundreds or thousands of employees and uh, revenues, uh, uh, great revenues and so on and so forth. Um, and yeah, so, so those are things that I'm doing as well. Do you plan to also offer specific courses to the girls in schools uh, in the educational facilities? Not us, but we. Uh, this is something that we have been asking the government to do. I think if we want to bring founding or um, investing into really the heads of the young women and girls, then we need to have founding or entrepreneur courses throughout all of the schools on a regular basis. So not only today, nowadays, we have one girl's day, which is great because it's just for like something which uh, to address uh, the issue, but it's not enough. It's not like the girl's day are gonna, the girl's day is going to help a single student to say, oh, because of this girl's day, I'm going to become an entrepreneur. It needs to be a lot more visible throughout the whole, like their whole life. And the whole life is basically a lot in school. So I, one of the one of the areas uh, to focus on would actually be having them learn coding or learn entrepreneurship in school already to be able to show them that it's not rocket science and you can do it. As a founder yourself and as an investor, how does one find his her co-founder? Is this a pure luck or there's a possibilities if you do targeted sourcing? You can do targeted sourcing in many different ways. For example, entrepreneur first. I mean, that's the best way of sourcing. Just apply there and find your co-founder. You date each other. I mean, it's a group of, I don't know, 30, 40 people. You can date each other and find find a great, great co-founder. Or there's also platforms. Um, I think Female One Zero was one which actually do does have a, uh, a, a whole sec section on the website with people looking for co-founders. So you can actively look for, for co-founders in a public way. Um, I would say the main way you can find a co-founder is through active networking. And this is something that um, there's many studies out there that show that networking is so important. For example, LinkedIn once uh, figured out that, uh, I hope I'm not lying, but I think it was 98% of all jobs that are referred to by network. I mean, it was mind-blowing. Maybe it was 89%. I don't know. It was something like that in, that in in that area. And then there was another study shown by McKinsey and someone else, and they figured, and Lean In Organization, I think it was, and they figured out that women just don't network as much as men do act actively. So I would say active networking is something that uh, definitely helps. And looking for a co-founder, that's the only way to do it. And that's how I found my two um, co-founders. So one of them, Fabiola, I actually met um, after having my child. You know, you go to those exercise courses where kind of um, you bring your body back to <laughs> the state that it was in before, uh, if you're lucky, but uh, most people kind of near to that. <laughs> And that's where I found her. So we kind of started it. We didn't want to talk about babies and about how our bodies were changed. <laughs> That's a very impressive story. <laughs> because of that. But we wanted to talk about startups and about our work. And that was just typical networking. And the same with the other founder, the co-founder that I have, Tina. She um, she was referred to me by a founder that I wanted to invest in, um, Kati from Uya. They do period panties. And um, Kati always said that I met this woman and you and her, you're going to love each other. And um, and it actually then I, I made a big dinner with I invited 20, 30. Every, it was like just a get together. Um, I didn't invite. It was like bring bring whoever you want to. We'll meet in a restaurant. 
And she brought Tina, and that's how I met Tina. So again, networking. I would say that's the main issue. And if you talk to all founders around here, I would say most uh, find find co-founders through networking. And in your opinion, do you think, should it be like-minded people that start something together or the opposites attract? Both has a like a positive side to it, but I'm a very big fan and um, also it's spectacular how different we are that you do want to have a complementary team set up because if you're too similar and you have two similar skill sets, then it's just, I, I mean, it can be good, but there's uh, so many areas that you do have to cover when you found your own company and then you have so many areas left over that you have to hire for. And I think it's easier if you have just people who have a completely different skill set and completely different thinking. We actually add, also I would say, if any, if you ask any one of us, we would say we're just very different to each other, each one of us. I mean, we have discussions, you wouldn't um, believe it, like one person saying A, the other saying Z, and then other one uh, completely in the middle. And, and uh, I think those are the most fruitful discussions because we go from there to finding a consensus, which is best for not for our company and not for us personally. But what is then glues you together? Respect for each other. I think everything that Tina and Fabiola, their whole skill set and their whole know-how is something that I I don't have. And the other way around. So each of us has like a, if you would, let, let's, I mean, let's put some buckets out there. I would say Fabiola is just, she's amazing at deal making and, you know, She's really great at how to handle people and really great at asking questions that no one else thinks about and really like deep questions where she goes from two, three, four, five, six uh, second questions into really deep spaces where you would never have thought about uh, asking. So that's like one of her big competencies. Tina, she's a mathematician and she's uh, just amazing with numbers and is really diligent when it comes to checking those things. And she is um, also very passionate uh, of, of coaching the, the founders that we have in our portfolio. And I would say my main, main asset is that I'm just uh, very open and I love to mingle. So, <laughs> so just talking to people is actually my main asset. <laughs> and uh, each one of us has just something that the others don't. So that's pretty cool. And so here I am, found my founders. I have an idea. Um, we are different yet similar, as you would recommend. So what should I start with? And moreover, what, in your opinion, first-time founders neglect? The main thing is actually, have I picked the right co-founder? That's the main thing. So, so there's many ways to figure out that you did or not. So take your time when finding a co-founder and really assess Is, are we looking into the same direction? Do we have the same idea of what this company is going to be like and of what, what we can um, do together and who, whose responsibility is what? And for example, what happens in worst case scenarios? Like try to play it through as much as possible. And also about whole idea that you have. Um, it doesn't matter what you have as a first idea. You can pivot that. It's like V0, version zero, and then you can still work on that. But um, kind of the whole big vision around it, align that with your co-founder. I would say that's what many people don't take enough time at the beginning to really do. And then you like have to start um, working around your version zero and talking to as many people as possible about it, I would say. Um, many people are, are secretive, uh, which... In very specific cases, makes sense, but in most, it doesn't. 
and try to get as much feedback as possible and um, really fast make like a first version of the product and and then understand your customer really really well is this a product that fits what the market needs and uh, and then go and and try it out i mean it, it depends on the business model it's not easy to say this if you're building for example a spaceship um obviously you're not going to do it the way that i said it <laughs> just now but that's why it's uh, it depends on the business model at the end of the day I would say the main thing is finding the right co uh, founder and then pivoting on your idea until you really fi find the best product market fit for you to start. So um, I feel like I have the right founders. I have the first variation of the product. Uh, the feedback from the customers is great. So I feel like I'm ready for that sit seat round. And what should here as a founder I should focus on? Yeah. What some of the founders sometimes neglect um, and completely ignore? Not every company is a venture case. So if you're talking to your co-founder, like really figure out what type of company do you want to build. And um, nowadays, there are so many different options around that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, uh, obviously, I want you guys to uh, <laughs> found your companies and, and look for venture capitalists because I do want to invest. But on the other hand, um, for some businesses, it's, it just doesn't make sense. And it's better to get either a grant or uh, just normal crowdfunding or revenue-based finance or whatever. You know, there's just so many options out there. But if you do, just to get back to your question, if you do know that your case is a venture case and that you want to get seed, fund seed funded, then... What I would do is I, the most important thing is to have a pitch deck to tell your story. You have to be really good at, at your storytelling um, and obviously have all your bases covered with that. So you have to have a business case, which, uh, which goes into that. You have to have a good comp competitive overview. You, you need to be able to really convey that your edge is perfect for this, uh, what you are building. And you really... I think mainly storytelling, you really have to get the story right and to be able to pitch it because um, what some people do is that they, for example, pitch the market too small and then they're out. I, we had That was our first investment was a team called uh, Qualifies. Um, and at the time they were called ChemSquare and it's it's a great team. We, they had uh, talked to many, many venture capital firms and we were the first ones in this area to tell them, okay, we want to invest. And then we looked at the story and we said, but we think that your story still needs a lot of bit, a little bit of just tweaking here and there. For example, the whole uh, market size, which was, they, they, they just made it smaller than it needed to be in their display. And then we discussed that a lot and kind of um, expanded on this. And, um, and also the way they were pitching the vision was just not appealing to what typical investors uh, were looking for. So that, that's what I would say. I would say kind of do a good storytelling. If you, if you know this is a venture case, then show where you want to go, what's the long-term vision, how are you going to tackle it from today ongoing, so the, and, and how, how will you get there, um, and why are the, you the right team to do that? I mean, it sounds easy, but it's not as easy. <laughs> Thank you, Geza, for uh, highlighting this. Uh, and is there any other advice that you have to all entrepreneurs and founders listening to us, especially for this new uh, year, a new hopeful year, 2021? Well, since I have a big, big heart for uh, female founders, I um, actually have to address two specifically, two things which I would specifically address female founders on. Um, we at the 
Startup Association made the for the third time, for the third year, uh, consecutive year, we did the Female Founders Monitor. And the Female Founders Monitor actually had two things come out of it, which were interesting concerning female founders. The first one being them not networking as much and them missing out on networks. So um, if you are a founder, then really make an effort to network and don't see it as something which you don't like because at the end of the day, um, even if you network with someone and it's not relevant for you in the long term, you, you're learning something out of each of these uh, um, discussions that you have. So take it more as a learning experience, but mainly it's about your business. It's about your baby. So see it more as in I'm helping my business and not I'm helping myself. Um, and the second thing is, Know that the similarity bias exists, and nowadays we still have a very male-dominated venture capital world, so there are specific things that you can do to address this. For example, you can specifically search for funds that do have, for example, uh, ways to to offset the similarity bias, for example, or who do have more female uh, partners, etc., etc. But if you think that the fund that you are tackling, that you do want to have, is one that doesn't have a lot of diversity, then look at your storytelling and check out, is that the same story that they want to hear? Because just if not, you have to adjust it because they want to hear that you're going to um, become the next unicorn and they want to hear that... Um, you're the greatest and the best and you will definitely pull it off because that's their business. That's how it needs to be. So that's just the second advice I would have in general, specifically to female founders. And uh, besides Entrepreneur First, is there other venture capital firms in Germany that you would like to highlight that are fighting that similarity bias? Cherry has um, Sophia Benz as a new partner. Um, I, th I think they're Uh, if you look at their whole structure, all the principals and uh, associates and so on, I, I think they're amazingly diverse. Uh, Acton Capital has a lot of investments in female founders. Those are the two that come to my mind right now as, as good examples. Um, but I'm not saying the others aren't good. They are, they're all trying. I get a lot of calls and a lot of um, invites to, to help with the sourcing of partners and so on. And um, I'm hoping that next time we talk, I can name 20. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. That's a, that's a good goal for maybe end of 2021, perhaps. Let's see. As we wrap up our uh, really insightful conversation, I think this was very helpful to the ones listening and also hearing your story into venture capital world. Making plans is a great way to stay motivated and focused. And what are your plans, also personal plans, Geza, for 2021? Oh, I have so many. So my personal plans is um, I was actually pretty sick two years ago and um, coming out of this sickness, uh, I've been really good at doing stuff of changing habits in my life. And um, for 2021, I didn't have a New Year's resolution until um, a friend told me, well, you know, the world, the climate, and we do need to do something. So I started with several resolutions, for example, um, not flying domestic flights this year or just eating meat once per month, which is really difficult for me, <laughs> um, and making uh, intentional investments into uh, technologies that will um, offset the or CO2 in, in the atmosphere. Um, so th those are three things in that area. But for me personally, I, I hope to keep the balance, which is really going great at the moment, uh, despite corona, of work 
and family and friends. And I think it's uh, if you want to stay healthy, it can't be you can't just focus on one of those things. You have to have balance. And that's what I'm hoping to continue to have. Sounds great. And the question I really love asking all my guests is to give a spotlight to a woman who they see as an author of her own achievements. Do you have one in mind, Geza? There are so many. It's amazing. I would say uh, one of the authors of achievement. I mean, it's uh, if I pick out one now, it sounds as if like this is the only one. I, I have a list of... We noted. There is a list. Thousands <laughs> of women who are doing this. Um, but a great shout out to one of them who I highly admire is uh, Kati Ernst, who is also a founder, which I talked about before, of Oya, of the period underwear. She was uh, also looking for venture capital funding at the beginning and then somehow decided because of many different factors that she's going to stay bootstrapped and that she's going to build this company and it's going to become like a whole female company, which um, which helps the whole ecosystem uh, also. And, and this woman, I really think she does, um, she has so many things in her life and does things right. For example, just recently, two days ago, she said uh, that their whole company is trying to change the way that they're working and that you can basically do a lot of home office and work from everywhere a specific amount of time. And I think that's a that's a an amazing approach to how we're going to live and work together in the future. But this is, as I said, just one lady that I highly admire. Perfect one, but uh, also very important that we have her name and uh, also the listeners can look look her up. Yes, please do. And if you haven't heard of the uh, award. Um, period panty, then look that up as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's an activity for today. Geza, thank you so much for coming and have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon. <laughs>